head. Only a day ago, they learned that Captain Roy's had paid a hundred dollars to a Russian naval officer for his charts of this ocean. Whale numbers had been decimated by two centuries of whaling in the Atlantic and Pacific. Foreign seamen who had sailed the Arctic Ocean had described it as a dangerous ocean of ice, fog, and blizzards. Frightened by the terrifying rumors of sailors freezing to death, the crew talked of mutiny. Their captain, however, was not looking at that terrible ocean, but landward. Thirteen Eskimo umiaks, large wood-frame canoes covered with walrus hide, were paddling toward the superior. In them were three hundred powerful, sealskin-clad Eskimo warriors, ready to defend their waters and trade routes from intruders. They outnumbered his crew eight to one. Captain Royce gritted his teeth. There was no wind to carry his ship out of the reach of the Umiaks, nor were there guns aboard to defend her. He took out his one old revolver, knowing it might not shoot. He wanted it at the ready anyway. Just then, a southwesterly breeze sprang up and carried the superior away from the Umiaks and into a misty fog bank. The Eskimos grumbled, a potential trade lost. More wary of the fog than the foreigners, they turned back. Alone and wrapped in fog, fear made the crew speak out. They complained aloud about where they were, in the dreaded Arctic Ocean. The first mate wept. They talked of mutiny all through the short Alaskan twilight. At dawn, the fog lifted. The sun came out. Whales were everywhere, blowing and breaching, splashing and waving their flukes. Some spy hopped or poked their heads straight up, thrusting themselves high out of the water to look at the ship. Whale footprints, whirlpools on the water made by the fluke of a whale swimming near the surface, pocked the ocean. All hands leaned against the rail, staring. They forgot their plan to mutiny. Lord in heaven! shouted Tom Boyd, the cabin boy. Will you look at that? Captain Roy saw the whales and thanked his maker. Leaning against the ship's wheel, he smiled. He had steered the superior into a fortune. The seamen lowered their whaleboats onto the water and rowed off to hunt the gigantic mammals that were swimming everywhere just beneath the ocean's surface. The heaviest whalers sat in the center of the 28-foot whaleboats and managed the longest oars. The other men took the seats before and behind them and rowed with shorter oars. This formation kept the eggshell-like boats gliding toward the whales. The harpooner, Hartson, a burly man, stood in the bow. He held his harpoon high. A line was attached to it that would secure the whale to the whaleboat when it was struck. Poised, Hartson waited for a whale to come up to the surface to breathe. 
No one spoke. They had long ago learned that whales could hear a whisper. Then a whale surfaced. Hartson thrust the harpoon and struck it. It dove out of sight with the harpoon set in its back. A sea-muffled boom sounded. The seamen waited. Finally, the great mammal rose slowly to the surface and floated. Dead. She's a right whale, cheered the harpooner. She floats. That makes her the right whale to take. He laughed, and the crew pulled in the line and made it fast to the boat. The whalers now towed the whale to their ship. When they finally brought the whale alongside the superior, Captain Royce leaned over the railing and stared. The whale was.